You'll find that on page 740 in your Spanish Bibles and page 662 in your English Bibles. On our way to church this morning, uh, Ella and I were on our way um, so she could practice with the music team, and I always uh, come early, uh, usually earlier than that, but we were in the car this morning, and the Christmas song, My Grown-Up Christmas List by Kelly Clarkson, came on the radio, and I almost switched the station because, let's face it, it's not what we call a Christmas classic, Um, but I didn't change the station because as I listened, I realized that Kelly sounded like a prophet of Israel, especially Isaiah, that she sounded like any human being who has lived and experienced a world that is not the way it's supposed to be. Starting with the middle of the second verse, she sings, but heaven only knows that packages and bows can never heal a heartached human soul. And then she goes on in the chorus, No more lives torn apart, that wars would never start, and time would heal all hearts, and everyone would have a friend, and right would always win, and love would never end. This is my grown-up Christmas list. She's wrestling with the realities of the world. And no matter how good things are or get, there is always heartache. There's always pain. There is always injustice. We may not personally feel it or experience it all the time. And thank God we don't. By God's grace, he withholds so much. But we know it's there. And it's only a matter of time until we, too, have a wish list like Kelly's. For Kelly and for many of us, this is just a wish list. But what if it's true that C.S. Lewis said that all the best stories, all those who seem like fairy tales, are actually telling something true about the ultimate story? And this ultimate story that Lewis refers to is the story of Jesus. This morning, we come to the part of the story where God promises a king, a good king, a king that will answer the wishes of Kelly Clarkson and the wishes of all the rest of us for a world that is the way it's supposed to be. So let's read Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. Again, found on page 740 in your Spanish Bibles and page 662 in your English Bibles. This is God's word through the prophet Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to our text this morning. As we heard in our 
prayer this morning of the realities of this world. Where gunmen enter places that are supposed to be safe and take the lives of others. In a world where Christians around the world going to worship on days such as Christmas and Easter and fr frankly any other day, any other Lord's Day of the year, go with the reality that they may be attacked. Lord, that we live in this world where it's torn apart, that those who call upon your name and those who don't experience pain and suffering and heartache. That there are those who feel friendless. That there are those who, in this lifetime, wonder if right will ever win. Those who experience love with strings attached. And it doesn't feel like there's a never-ending, always and forever love. Lord, we come this morning, some of us with very tender, heart-ached souls, some with souls that ache for others, some that ache for our own circumstance. Lord, we pray that you will be with us as you have promised, that you will speak to us through your word. And Lord, that you would give us the hope that you promised to offer. That what we long for is not merely just a wish, but that it is a hope hope in something and someone that you have promised. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we started our Advent series that we've titled The Family Tree. And we're using this idea of the family tree, the genealogy that Matthew begins his gospel with. And we are going back to the Old Testament to see what is Matthew getting at when he highlights this genealogy of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, we read these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then we read immediately, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and so on and so forth, and so on and so forth, until we get to Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And so Matthew is outlining for us the genealogy of Jesus, showing us that Jesus is a true 
Israelite. He is a true Jew. He is a true heir of the promise to Abraham. He is a true heir of the promise to David. And not only that, but he fulfills those promises. And so we went back last week and looked at the first individual was Abraham that Matthew highlights. Actually, he highlights David first, then Abraham, but then goes back to Abraham because that's the way a genealogy works. And we look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where God makes a covenant, a promise with Abraham. And we asked, why does it matter that Jesus is the son of Abraham? We looked at Abraham's blessing as God's solution to the world's problems. That Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this blessing. And we are heirs of that very blessing through Jesus Christ. We saw that as the son of Abraham, he fulfills the story. He is the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham. And he makes us a part of his family tree through faith in him. And we... We become a part of this family tree by believing, just as Abraham did. We are sons and daughters by faith, the scripture tells us. Those of faith are blessed along with Abraham. We receive the same blessings of Abraham through faith. And in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes to us. And part of that blessing is that, in turn, as we have received the blessing, we would be Made, we are made to be a blessing to the nations through Jesus, just as was promised to Abraham. Today, we move along in the genealogy of Jesus to David, the great king of Israel. David was the youngest son of Jesse, a shepherd, when God sent Samuel, the prophet, to anoint him as king. And David would become known in Israel's history as the greatest king of Israel because of his success. Because, but also, I mean, we know that in terms of land and wealth and things like that, David wasn't the greatest. His son Solomon was. But David is known as the greatest king of Israel. And part of that is because of the success David had. He's the one who helped establish the kingdom in its fullness as God had promised Abraham. But he's also known as the greatest king of Israel because God made a covenant with him, a promise, a promise that his kingdom would have no end. And in our text today, Jeremiah picks up on that covenant promise that God made with David. Jeremiah is using this covenant promise through the word of the Lord to remind the people who will be in exile that God has not given up. That God has not fully turned his, has not full, turned his back on them, even though it feels like he has. That he has given them a promise. That he gave, he's continuing the promise that he gave to his, to the king, their great king David. That one day Israel will be restored. And so we should ask ourselves, what was the promise and what does it mean for us? What was the promise and what does it mean for us? And to see that, we'll, we'll look at our main point of our sermon today, that as the son of David, Jesus is the king we need, 
because he fulfills the promise. As the son of David, Jesus is the king we need because he fulfills the promise. We'll look at the promise given, the promise fulfilled, and the promise for us. First, the promise given in verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. What is that promise? Well, in 2 Samuel 7, God makes a covenant with David. David has brought the Ark of the Covenant. You remember, that's God's presence in, among his people. He brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and sets up the kingdom, the, the throne in Jerusalem. And then God comes to David after this has happened, and he promises, he covenants with David that he will establish his line forever. He will establish the kingly line of David forever. His kingdom will be sure forever. His throne shall be established forever, Paul pro or God promises uh, David in 2 Samuel 7. But this covenant with David is not merely an individual covenant. God promises to David directly, but it's not merely an individual promise. It is actually a promise, a covenant with the whole nation. The promise that God made to Abraham was directly to one person, but it was a promise to the entire people that would come from Abraham. And it continued through the nation under the rule of the king. God's promise to Abraham, which was then given again to Moses, which was then given again to David, different aspects of that promise are highlighted in those covenants. But they all build on each other, and they all show that God's promise to David was a continuation through the nation under the rule of the king. In God's covenant with, with Israel at Sinai, there is a clear articulation and conviction that the true king of Israel is God himself. That at Sinai, the people of God declare, as God has brought them out of Egypt... That God is the true king. He's the true king of Israel. And in God's covenant with David, this is still the case, yet God sets up his representative on earth. You see, the, the, the nation was God's representative. And now God has set up a king on earth because the nation of Israel desired a king, even though God told them that they shouldn't desire a king. They desired a king, and God allows that desire and sets up for himself an earthly king who would represent him as a representation on earth. The king of heaven would be represented in the king of Israel, of the nation that would bless other nations. God sets up his representative on earth. The Davidic covenant, then, is an extension of the covenant God made with Israel at Sinai, that God intends to continue to rule and bless Israel and for them to be a blessing. God isn't stopping that covenant that he made with Israel. He is actually bringing it forward. 
And he's using David to do it. And the line of David that will eventually come, the, David's greater son. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel, to the house of Judah. This house of Israel, house of Judah, is a term for David's kingdom, for this Davidic line that would continue forever and ever. And so in this kingly line is the representation of God, of the true king on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that not only did David fail miserably, but the kings that followed failed even more miserably in being that representative of God on earth. And because of their failure and the people's failure, Jeremiah, Jeremiah comes to them and prophesies that they will be exiled, that they will be disciplined. But God will not forget his promise, that he will fulfill the promise he made to the house of Israel, to the house of Judah. Jeremiah goes on to say, In those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. We see the promise fulfilled. The new covenant visions by the prophets all include elements of the previous covenants. And David, the Davidic covenant, is prominent in each one. In Jeremiah, we read here that the righteous branch of David will do righteous and justice as the Davidic king was supposed to do. The true in Ezekiel, David is the king of the unified nation, the true shepherd leading his people. In Isaiah, he connects the universal inclusion of the nations through the covenant of peace, the Noahic covenant, and the blessing of the nations, the Abrahamic covenant, under the everlasting covenant with David. Isaiah brings them all together and says all of these covenants are true in the one true king, the one who will fulfill the covenant that God made with David. And as the time moved on from the prophets, from the time of exile to the time of the coming of Jesus, the expectation was that the arrival of the true son of David would coincide with the intervention of God himself to establish his reign. Did you catch that? The true son of David, his coming would coincide with the intervention of God himself to establish his reign. It would mean the rule of God's justice, liberation for the oppressed, the restoration of peace among mankind and nature itself would come together in this person, in this promise. The mission of the Messiah, what the idea of the Davidic king, the messianic ruler, was not only connected to 
Israel itself, but to the engrafting of the nations, to gather the nations in. That the Son of David would fulfill the promise to Abraham to bring the nations together, to be that blessing. And the prophets all concurred that the restoration of Israel, Israel was on the other side of judgment. That Israel had to go through judgment in order to be restored. Just as all the nations would have to go through judgment to come before they came into this restored kingdom, before they could be engrafted into the nations. And in Luke 24, Jesus says that it's necessary for the Messiah to suffer and then to enter into his glory. The Messiah's death, Jesus' death and resurrection was Israel's redemption, along with the redemption of the whole world. In Jesus, he fulfilled this promise to the, his father David. He fulfilled the one who would execute justice, the one who would bring righteousness, the one who would save his people and allow his people to dwell securely. And he is the one who would allow his people's name to be the Lord is our righteousness. Jesus is the one who over and over again in the New Testament, Matthew is reminding us, fulfills this promise that God made to David. That his kingdom would have no end. That his throne would be an everlasting throne. So you might be thinking, okay, well, that's great. That's all fine and good. Yes, I, I get it. This promise that God made to David, Jesus fulfilled that promise. But what does that mean for us? I began to just tease that out just previously. But in verse 16, the end of 15, in verse 16, we read that he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. You know, in the Old Testament, the word justice does not just mean making sure that those in the wrong get what they deserve. It's not just the idea of, of a judge sitting on a throne, or a, of, on his judgment seat, and making declarations of right and wrong. It does mean that. But it also means that those who have been oppressed will receive freedom. Those who have not known justice 
will receive justice. Prophet goes on, Prophet Jeremiah goes on to say that not only will this righteous branch of David execute justice, but he will cause bring righteousness as well. And oftentimes when we in the church think of righteousness, we think about our salvation. Because in the, in the New Testament, righteousness is often tied, sometimes rightly and wrongly, purely to our, our salvation in Christ Jesus. But righteousness in the Old Testament, and even carried over into the New Testament, has even a broader meaning than that. Righteousness is not merely about our salvation, though it certainly is. But righteousness is also about government, about truthfulness, about ethics, about all the ways of our, of our lives that need to be made right. And so the prophet Jeremiah is promising or is re reflecting on the promise that God has made to David that this one, the son of David, would bring justice and righteousness, would bring about salvation, but also would bring about right government, the right ways that people interact with one another, right ethical understanding and living. And so this promise for us and for those who first heard it, for those who received it in Christ's first coming, the promise for us is that Jesus brings these gifts as our king. And when you have a king, you have a kingdom. And Jesus brings these gifts as our king and says, this is how I establish my kingdom. Those who have been brought into my kingdom, the king, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, have received justice and righteousness. And justice and righteousness will be the things that my kingdom is founded upon and that we live upon. And that we live in light of these, that God, that Jesus is bringing, has brought with him. It is what the kingdom to come will in its fullness be that we as God's people are called even now to live in light of that. Sometimes we can get the idea that this justice and righteousness, that you know, Jesus, by going to the cross, took God's justice upon himself in our place and has given us his righteousness. And that is 
completely true. And we must understand and believe that. But if it stops there, we have not fully understood what it means that Jesus is the son of David. We have not fully understood what it means for Jesus to be our king. To enter into the kingdom, we must understand and believe that our justice, that the justice that God demands has been paid for, has been put upon Jesus Christ on the cross. That our righteousness is what theologians say is imputed to us by faith. Not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness given to us, imputed to us, given to us by faith. That when God looks at us, he looks at us as those who do not require to receive his justice because Christ has received that for us. That he looks at us and sees us as righteous because of Christ's righteousness. But we, as God's people, can fall into a great trap and to believe that's where it ends. You see, it doesn't end there. Because we have been saved, because we have not received the justice of God, because we have been given the righteousness of Christ, the prophet Jeremiah says that we will dwell securely. And the name by which we are called is the Lord is our righteousness. You know, what's interesting is that in this passage, Jeremiah says that the city, which is a way of referring to the people of God, the city of Jerusalem is the people of God. Some even have extended it to the church. The people of God here, and then which comes to the church in the New Testament. What we know is the church in the New Testament. The Lord is our righteousness. Well, in Jeremiah 23, God refers to the coming servant, the Messiah, as that his name will be called the Lord is our righteousness. That name is given to us, God's people, Jeremiah says. If the name is given to us, then we as God's people are called to the same task that our king, that the son of David was called to. We are called as those who have received, have not received the justice that we deserve to go and bring justice where there is no justice. We are the ones who have been made right, righteous before God. We are those who are called then to bring rightness, to bring righteousness with us as God's people into the places that we dwell, that we live, that we work, that we play.
We are called as God's people to live according to his kingdom. As those who have been given the name, the Lord is our righteousness. There's one other aspect of Jesus being referred to as the son of David that's important for us, that this promises for us. And I didn't notice this until I started studying for this sermon. I've never seen it before. And quite frankly, few commentators even mention it. But in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is referred to as the son of David, the only time that the name son of David is, is referred to where Jesus is having, is, where it comes up in, in reference to Jesus that does not happen, what I'm about to say is when Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and explaining who the son of David is. But every other time the term son of David is used in the Gospel of Matthew, it's in reference. It's used, is in reference to Jesus, used by those who are in need. Those in captivity to pain, suffering, those in danger of death. Those who need healing. You see, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is coming along the path and the two blind men yell out, Jesus, son of David, they're asking for sight. When the Canaanite woman, remember the enemies of, Je- of, of Israel, when the Canaanite woman comes to Jesus and asks him to heal her daughter, what does she cry out? Son of David. When blind Bartimaeus is on the road in Jericho and Jesus is going to Jerusalem, what does Bartimaeus and the other blind man call out to him? Son of David. Matthew is reminding us that this king that has come to give justice and righteousness has also come with healing in his wings. That the son of David has come to bring justice and righteousness and to bring healing to those who are in captivity to pain and suffering and even in danger of death. Jesus, the son of David, is for those who need healing. The most important healing that any of us needs is the healing of our very nature. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. And in Christ Jesus, we were made alive. We all need the Son of David. We are all in desperate need. We should all, like the blind men, 
like the Canaanite woman, cry out, son of David. Do you see Jesus as the son of David? As Lord and Savior? Do you see him full of mercy, willing to be merciful even to you? Do you see him as the son of David who brings healing in his wings? That whatever you are in need of, Jesus promises to offer the healing balm. You know, the promise to David is that his house will be filled. The promise to David that his house will be filled by the son of David. This is our Lord Jesus. He fulfills that promise by welcoming us to, to fill the messianic banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb, to come to him all who are willing to come and find sustenance. Come to the Son of David. As the Son of David, Jesus is the King we need because he fulfills the promise. The promise given, the promise fulfilled, and the promise is for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your Son, David's greater Son, Son of our salvation, the King of our salvation, the King of our hope, the King of our healing. Lord, as we have received the Son, may we be those who continue the work of your Son on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond.